Welcome to the Subtext Podcast. My name is Brian James Polak. This month on the podcast, I share a conversation with Matthew Paul Olmos. If you're new to the Subtext, welcome aboard. We are presented monthly by American Theatre Magazine, a program of Theatre Communications Group. Every episode includes a conversation between me and another playwright I admire. If you're interested in hearing more of these, you can stream all of the episodes going back to January of 2018 at americantheatre.org. And you can listen to the 20-something episodes we recorded in the early days. They're up on YouTube. Just search The Subtext Podcast. And if you want to hear future episodes, search for The Subtext Podcast on your favorite podcast purveyor and then hit subscribe. You can also find us on most of the socials if that's your thing, too. Matthew Paul Olmos. This, this is a playwright I met right after I finished grad school. I was at this playwright retreat with him and a bunch of other unbelievable playwrights, and he was working on this play called The Living Life of the Daughter Mira. I love this play, and I loved it from the first scene I read. Matt, he's he's a word wizard. His plays are, are powerful and evocative and moving, and I know I often say, this is a playwright I've wanted to talk to for a long time, and and I always mean it when I say it, but I mean it in all caps when I say it about the great Matthew Paul Olmos. Matthew is a Mexican-American playwright who focuses his work on the creation of space for marginalized and underrepresented communities. While his work is always personal, it is aimed at reaching across socio-political boundaries, showing the ridiculousness of how separate our lives are, and illuminating a potential hope for future generations. He was born in Los Angeles to a labor delivery nurse and police officer, and I could go on because that's just the start of his bio, which is justifiably long. I encourage you to hit up his website and read all about the incredible work he has done and his career accomplishments so far, but do that after listening to this conversation, which was recorded in January of 2024 at Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago, Illinois. up in in southern california yeah yeah right yeah what, what town uh i was born in uh, montebello which is like in east los angeles and then uh, my family moved to pasadena area for the schools mm-hmm. um and then pretty much there uh, my entire life or until i left really and was was your was your early life like engaged in did you have like an artsy family where these you... not at all like I didn't see a play till I was like a senior in college um, and it's weird because when I think back like I don't think of my upbringing as being like unartistic but it, I guess it was because we didn't I knew what a play was I knew what theater I knew it existed but I'd never been to it I'd never you know discussed it um, there was a push like to read books but it was more just like for reading's sake it wasn't like we discussed novels we read like you know i probably read stephen king and stuff like that yeah and like mo- movies though movies we did watch movies and like movies we would discuss them but it it's funny when i got to new york and i had conversations with other people's families and like wow these families sit around the table and they discuss like novels they've read and films and documentaries and i was always like why do you guys do that? That's so cool. Like, I don't, I've it never... just sounds like a Noah Baumbach <laughs> yeah, film to me. Exactly. Like, exactly. Like, yeah, it's not fathomable, but when you were, when you were growing up, was there like a, uh, uh, Matthew, when you grow up, you're going to do this? Um, no, I, I mean, it wasn't as like cliche as you might see, like in a, a certain, like a, a film or something about like, uh, like a, a Mexican family, but there was like a certain nudging of like, I know my mom who's a, a labor delivery nurse would have liked if I had been a doctor and, and really always claims to this day, like, I think you were smart enough to become one. Um, and I would always go kind of counter and say like, but I think I'd be a horrible one. Like, I think I would cut corners and I'd probably get sued. Smart um, enough to be a terrible yeah. doctor. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there was, there was some, uh, there was definitely a push to like do something that has some sort of uh, a nice paycheck. And I think that, that, would pay me more than my parents, what they, what they made. My mm-hmm. mom was a nurse. My dad was a, a police officer. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't ever like blatantly said, but it was sort of implied. Like I'll definitely go to college obviously, and I'll definitely get a job out of that. And like my path will be set. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember even when I was in undergrad, uh, and I'd already, when I actually, when I was switching to theater, I was telling my mother on the phone, I was at UC Santa Barbara and I told her I was going to switch majors to theater. 
and I was, I think I was an English major before, so it wasn't like I had some like, That's not much you know, business. <laughs> um, and she hung up on me. And I remember my roommate at the time was like, did your mom just hang up on you? And I was like, she did. She just, she was so mad. She hung up on me and was like, you're like, I'm not going to be supportive of any of this if you're going to like go in this sort of artistic direction. English, English major, totally fine. I think she, in her the brain, line is drawn. Yeah, English teacher <laughs> meant like teaching, I guess. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. Theater meant you're, you're poor on the street. I think to her, uh, theater playwright sounded like I want to be a rock and roll drummer or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. And also she had no evidence up to that point of like, it's not like she'd seen my writing and been like, Hey, you're pretty good. Right. It really was like, I've never played the drums. I think I'm going to be a drummer. <laughs> <laughs> right. So have, uh, did you ever unpack that with her after that conversation? I've told her about it and she doesn't really remember, but like, she, no, she will tell stories now where she'll be like, when she, um, she came to a play at my school, which is, you know, a play I would never show anybody, but she came to a play at my undergrad and she did say something I remember being like, oh, actually, I get it. He's kind of good at this. Um, but she'll tell, also mm. tell when she got to, when I was in New York, certain things that I had go up there, she would come and she would talk to people and she would realize like, oh, I understand that he's where he's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know her exact journey, but it took some time to get to this place of like, you know, I mean, she's never going to put down the worrying of like, I hope he's going to be okay, you know, with yeah. this sort of artistic career. But um, it, I think it was a journey for her to get from like, I'm definitely not doing something that's um, stable to, right. I guess he should be doing what he's doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So what, what triggered the, the English to theater switch? I mean, English was, was bullshit. Like I, it was just a major, like I had no, like, yeah. I think when I, my memory of, of going into like undergrad was like, I liked films a lot, but I'd taken some film classes and like, they always felt a little pretentious or something. Like they weren't, I didn't like the film school like, or the film classes vibe. It always felt sort of like mm. everyone, like no one there, like I thought that we just talk about movies, but it was more like, Oh, did you see this really like pretentious movie or whatever? Or, like, did you mm -hmm. see this French film? And I always felt sort of outsider. Um, and that's really what I wanted to do. I, th I really thought that I wanted to do uh, write and direct films, I think, in my secret. I didn't really have to be told anyone that, but that was in my brain about, yeah. um, I loved films a lot. Um, and then I literally, it was just that I took um, writing classes. I would write short stories, poems, all that stuff ever since like high school, junior high. And then in college, I was out of the classes. So I, the only one left was this intro to playwriting class. So I signed up just because it was a creative writing class. And then, um, pretty quickly my um, instructor kind of pulled me aside and was like, hey, like, who are you? Because you don't, you're not <laughs> part of the program. Like, you're not a theater major, you know? Yeah. And also, like, you're actually, you have a, a skill for this. You should consider it. And I was like, oh, like, really? I have a skill? Like, great. And so I stayed in it, and then that sort of snowballed into What do you think they saw? I think um, early on, I was able to write language in a certain way. Like, I didn't know what a play was or what, like, dialogue or any, you know, action mechanics of playwriting, but the language in the play. The, the, I was making characters talk, but I, I think the language they were speaking in was interesting. Mm -hmm. Probably very juvenile, obviously, but, like, the, the language itself was interesting. And I think, that's the skill I had and I thought I had. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, I can just, I'm not knowing anything about theater. I was like, I can just ride that. <laughs> I can ride the language thing, right, the entire way. That'll work, you know? Yeah. I'm not realizing until later, like, oh, that's just one tiny, like splinter of the job i love how uh i love the power of the teacher because that comes up so much in these conversations mm. is the power of a teacher mm. and so many people i talk to can point to the teacher mm. and uh it's a seminal moment for mm -hmm. them and what i love thinking about and we don't always talk about it is how we get from this teacher that pokes us in the right way mm -hmm. or feeds us to this is the life we're gonna <laughs> lead, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's wild. Well, I, mean, I think I was thinking this is, is, is funny is that like, you know, when I, if I have to like write a, a bio, like a long, one of those like narrative bios or something, or have to like, you know, uh, do something sort of biographical for someone, if I like lay out what I've sort of done, you know, along the way, it feels like, it seems like it makes sense. So like, oh, I heard about this and I went over there, I did this. But like in reality, it was just chaos of just like, 
I don't know what I'm doing. I'm totally self-doubting. Like I lots of dead ends, lots of things that didn't ever happen that I wanted. And it's just all just seems like bad choices. It happened to like by force. I did this. Like I was kicked out of UCLA and I went to New York because of that. Yeah. So like something that was actually a train wreck <laughs> turned into me being at this other school. You know what I mean? Like, so it feels like, like it, it, it always seems like, oh, and I had this really great teacher and they inspired me and I, I went and wrote this thing and I did this thing, but really it was like, I made like 12 bad decisions after that and then like right, right. somehow wound up, you know, like, you know, even get into like, when you were at Boston Quarter and I was at Lark, I always thought it was, we had that similarity of like working in an admin thing and like, yeah. it's not like I, in retrospect, I talk about the Lark all the time where I'm like, oh, I learned so much at Lark, I built community at the Lark. But really, it was just like a desperate like cover letter and, and resume right. for a job I wasn't qualified for <laughs> that I, need, I just wanted a foot in anywhere. I barely knew what the Lark was, you know what I mean? And it turned into something, but really, it was just a, one of 20 you know, cover letters I sent out that week. Yeah. It turned into something. By, and I remember the first day at the Lark, I was like, I'm literally at one of those jobs where like I bullshitted some stuff on my resume and my cover letter. And now I have to do some of this Excel stuff and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so it was, it was, but it's funny because like it was such a, it was really was a train wreck for a little while, but turned into like, now that if I think back in my, my career, it's a glorious like, right. part of my coming up and, and like discovering, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It all, it all, I guess. Depends I mean, were on... you, were you purposeful when you went to Boston court? No, because, uh, when I went to Boston court, I had, I was living in Boston, Massachusetts, mm -hmm. unrelated to Boston Court, <laughs> and uh, living the corporate life yeah, yeah. with like doing some acting on the side mm -hmm. and just starting to write mm -hmm. and being miserable at my nine to five. Yeah. So um, the person I was with at the time and I were like, let's just move to LA and become writers. Mm -hmm. And it was TV film. Right, right. Uh, I had only written a couple short plays at that point. Mm -hmm. And when I get to LA jobless and mm -hmm. in debt already, right. uh, it was like desperate for jobs. So mm -hmm. I was like, I was cutting together every part-time temp gig I find. Right, right, right. And one of them was a front of house manager at Boston court mm -hmm. and it was semi-regular mm -hmm. like, uh, and I got to know these folks mm -hmm. and after doing that for like six months, mm -hmm. I like, I had too many jobs. And, you know, even though, even though you can have like four jobs that add up to a full-time salary, <laughs> it's like, it's 90 hours yeah, yeah, of your time. So I needed a full-time job mm -hmm. and they had similar to what you were talking about mm -hmm. with the Lark, they had a marketing job, mm -hmm. full-time open, you know, benefits. And I right, was right. like, I have no health. I hadn't, I didn't have health yeah, insurance yeah. for like a year. And, uh, I pitched myself. Mm -hmm. I was like, I've never done this job before, but here's what I would do. Mm -hmm. And they hired me. And, uh, it, that was like a life changing, like yeah, thing yeah. for me because I moved to LA to be film and television. Mm -hmm. I get there, I get into this to work, mm -hmm. uh, you know, essentially admin at a new play theater. Mm -hmm. And I see these new plays being, I learn mm -hmm. how a play is actually coming yeah, to yeah. life while I'm figuring out how to put a play onto mm -hmm. the page. And it was like life-changing super inspiring mm -hmm. um and it made me sort of like move away from mm -hmm. my film and television aspirations and just mm -hmm. circle theater entirely i mean it sounds you know just getting to be near new playwrights like who like you said some are going to be doing stuff that that are some of them doing things that are so like oh wow again like, i don't aspire to that but like i learned from that and like i just lark had so many things i remember being at a yeah. my first week at lark they were doing playwrights week i didn't know anyone i know what i was doing i was just like a whirlwind but one of the readings was marcus gardley's dance of the holy ghosts mm. and a the play is just powerful but i remember it ended on this like super poetic like stage direction that like you probably could never stage it was something like i'm gonna ruin it but it was like referencing like and that's the world we live in or something like that you know and it was yeah. like i remember just being like floored and A, right in that instant, like my idea of what stage directions could be changes. Um, my knowledge of, I still teach actually that play because it, it stuck with me that entire time. Um, but like, yeah, there's all this growth. and But yeah, it's, it's somehow crammed in the middle of this this weird hourly job that I'm having just to get by. But yeah, the discovery very quickly of like, oh, wow, I'm being fed here in a way that is like, 
I could feel it like feeding me artistically, even though it was still a struggle to be there as an artist and be an admin. Yeah. So yeah. that was ultimately like uh, where my struggle was. Uh, mm-hmm. I, w- I was being fed, but there was a time when uh, I needed different food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just started to become a little embittered <laughs> because, and it's not like my plays needed to be on that stage mm-hmm. or, uh, or, or I was being passed over. Mm-hmm. It was, um, uh, my identity is as a marketing person at a yeah, theater. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, uh, and that's not what I want to be. So it became hard. Like the last yeah, few yeah. years, I was there for basically a decade oh, in wow, the last yeah few years there post because I stayed there while I was in grad school Mm -hmm. three years of grad school I still worked uh and uh and it was really the three years following Mm -hmm. grad school where I was still there Mm -hmm. where I was just like I need to get out Mm -hmm. um because I need to I need to be an artist yeah and seen that way so I can see myself that way and I was wondering like this is what I thought about with Mm -hmm. you did you have a struggle like that with the lark. Well, I mean, you know, the, the being seen that the being seen that way is actually it feels like the bigger thing because like my thing came where like when I got to Lark, I didn't know what I was doing, blah blah. But like I was in the middle all of a sudden of the new play world of New York City, mm-hmm. and it was amazing. And playwrights I didn't know about, blah blah. blah. But I forget what year it was. I was there for about six and a half years. Um, somewhere in the middle there, um, I was nominated for the Pony Award, which is a it's not there anymore, but it's it was a big like you get an apartment for a year, you get all this money. It was a big thing. Um, and the, the lark and get just to preface, I love the lark lark is like a huge part of my heart. And I, you know, but again, like to your point about being a little bit embittered. So in the middle, I get nominated for the pony award and then the lark board has to kind of meet and they decide that like, since I'm a, um, I don't even know if I was full time at the time, but whatever I was, I was an employee though. I couldn't be included in the pool to mm-hmm. be uh, for a nomination. And I was upset cause I was sort of like they were, I think, worried about transparency. You know, what does it look like for us to have this person, you know, who works here? And so I was sort of uh, a bit insulted because I was sort of like, I think you guys have the integrity as an organization. No one's going to think you're like, let's just throw Matt in there, even though he's not deserving of it. Yeah. Um, but I remember at that time, to, to go back to what you'd said, like, I did start treating that job uh, for several years there just as a job. I'd mm-hmm. stop, I kind of stopped staying later and I stopped doing, I kind of did the bare minimum for a while because I was like, if I'm an employee, according to you, I'll be an employee, but like thinking back on it, I think it really was more rooted in me personally, just going through this thing of being like, I remember they invited me to, to TCG one year as the marketing person and yeah. I was like, or as a community person, whatever. And I was like, I, I, I was like, I don't want to go. And really mm-hmm. the reason I said that I was busy, whatever, but really I was like, I'm not going to go meet half the industry as the yeah. communications community person from the Lark. I need to be there. And Oh, he also, he's a playwright, you know, it always sounds almost insulting. Like <laughs> I know he also dances or something. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I got, and I, that was a hundred percent me. Like we mm. had these parallel experiences yeah, for yeah. sure. And it was, and it's actually nothing on uh, uh, my colleagues at Boston Court. Mm-hmm. Like, like I was there to do a thing. Yeah, and yeah, it was yeah. all like what was going on inside me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, I still have like. Uh, all the respect in the world for all the all the Boston Court folks I right. worked with back in those days. But it does go back to the idea that you know, like even either of us telling the story of like how much we gained and and were fed by oh, these yeah. experiences. It really, the deeper part is like, but actually, that was actually a really complex experience, and it wasn't just like yes, I got to Lark and I all of a sudden like was thrown into new play development and I like was accepted. It was like no, that was a real struggling part where I would like yeah. leave work and be conflicted because I'm like. Huh. Like it was just I wanted it, w- it was more just that that I think you said the 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 how am I seen? I felt like so much in New York, especially I'm sure it was the same was in any in a major theater city. It was like going to shows and, and hanging out afterwards, and everyone knowing like, oh, you're a playwright. I understand that. Yeah. Oh, you're a writer. So yeah. if that ever comes up, you're in my role, my role, my mental Rolodex, whatever. But like being introduced as the as the community engagement or the communications whatever is was just like a little stab in the heart of like, yeah i've actually dealt with that uh so when i left boston court mm. and i moved to chicago and uh re-established my mm. identity only as a playwright mm. uh then this podcast mm. changes and goes to american theater magazine and i start getting invited as press to things <laughs> right and uh, so I went to a couple like big playwright mm-hmm. new play conference situations yeah. as this person with the microphone, right. and 
it was miserable because I was all the PTSD of my artistic identity from the past working as a marketing Mm. person. It's all coming back and it's Mm. all happening again. And uh, I'm still very sensitive about it right now. I'm on so many PR lists and I get so many pitches and there's a, there's a theater that's, um, read and considered and ultimately rejected one of my plays Mm -hmm. um, because it was too similar to this other play Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, that they also weren't going to do that Mm -hmm. they didn't like and then a couple years later they program that other play and message me and ask me to come (laughs) right and I was so mad I this poor PR person who mm. had nothing to do with any of it yeah, yeah, yeah. was just doing their job. I like bit their head off. Mm-hmm. It was, it was totally wrong, but, and I still feel bad about it, but I was just like, do you understand mm-hmm. that I'm not a journalist, but <laughs> this is a pro- <laughs> whatever. Uh, so it's still there. It's still, yeah, 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 it's yeah, still yeah. within me. I still feel yeah, it all the yeah, time. Yeah. No, I, I actually think about the identity thing a lot because like, I think we spend so much of our time like as playwrights as like pushing right in our plays, uh, trying to get our work out there, you know, just so much of our brain space is about, you know, trying to, to do this thing, which is, is hard to do. And it's, it's, um, it just, it takes a thing. Like, I think it's hilarious and people who have like nine to five jobs. I'm like, I feel like we have nine to five jobs that just continuously go on and on and on. And like, yeah. we can take breaks, but we're like, they're purposeful and the entire time. We're like, I have so much stuff I could be doing to like get further in my career. But like, you know, I always find it funny when like when you go to like, especially over the holidays or something where like amongst family, all of a sudden I'm not a playwright anymore. I'm just, you know, so-and-so's son or so-and-so's brother or the guy who lived in New York for a long time. Like, and there's something about that. Yeah. Sometimes it's really nice. It's just be like, I don't want to think about any of this shit about my career. And I'm just that person's cousin and that person's <laughs> nephew. Um, but it's funny because I, I think about that a lot where it's like, to have this identity be so much of who we are beyond the hours of, of working hours. Yeah. And then all of a sudden in certain situations, that entire thing is absolutely gone. Like I, to this day, my family is still a little bit like, so how's the movies and stuff? And I'm like, that's not what I do, but <laughs> I, it's good. <laughs> my, my, uh, I've talked about this a lot. My family has never, uh, engaged me on this topic mm-hmm. about what I, what my, what I completely identify myself as mm-hmm. has never been talked about <laughs> with my family. And then, uh, just a couple months ago I was visiting mm-hmm. family and we mm-hmm. talked about it. Oh, wow. They were asking questions and I was just like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. It was wild. And I loved it. Did they like, I'm, cause I, I always think it's, it, I chalk it up to like, they don't know. Like if someone said I'm a, certain like whatever some sort of really businessy or whatever like uh stocks or something i might ask a couple of stupid questions but like i don't know what to ask right i always chalk it up to like they have no idea what to ask i totally understand that but i'm curious since they actually did ask you like did they have like specific questions or was it just it's a it's a for sure it's a language barrier Mm -hmm. and i think i always knew that like Mm -hmm. i don't think it's a lack of interest Mm -hmm. uh or even curiosity i think it's like an insecurity because uh, Mm -hmm. how do we talk about this mystery thing that this person Mm -hmm. does we don't have the language for it like i wouldn't have the language to talk about cancer research with with somebody or you know thermodynamics whatever Mm -hmm. like all the all the other things Mm -hmm. um so, so it was like that, that, and that's the thing that kept me from like being mad and bitter. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm a playwright. Why aren't you talking to me yeah, about yeah. it? I'm just like, I get it. It's yeah. 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 But it's, but it was when they, when it, mm-hmm. when it came up, it was just like, like I, I was sh- almost shocked by it. <laughs> I was just like, and I thought it was kind of great. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we had some good conversations about this thing I was writing. That's, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, it's weird. Cause like. We, I think we spend so much time talking about, like, say, a new play, a new project, like, I'm working on this, or I'm researching this, like, all these, you're, like, so many ideas are passing through us. Yeah. And yet, like, I'm totally the person who would be like, so what are you working on? Ah, uh, it's just uh, a play. It's, uh, anyway, yeah. so how's your, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I do, and I do the same thing mm-hmm. uh, to make it easier <laughs> right, right. on them. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah. Because I could now monologue for 45 minutes on the mm-hmm. thing, because it's all I'm thinking about, and I have all these thoughts about mm-hmm. it, and I'm... I'm researching some stuff and it's fascinating and, but instead I do yeah. the shorthand. Like, I guess I thought it because like, you know, talking with you about like 
how much we have to fight for the identity of being like, no, I need to be seen as a playwright. I'm fighting really hard to be seen as a playwright, to yeah. be a full-time playwright. And all of a sudden, I will drop that entirely in certain situations. Yeah. Really, just to make socially awkward <laughs> like, Yeah, for sure. Not happen. So true. I knew this about you, but you also dropped it uh, really briefly a couple minutes ago about uh, getting kicked out of UCLA. <laughs> And uh, and I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit more because uh, it's part of it's part mm. of your whole mm. trajectory in the chaos that as you yeah, describe yeah. it. Um, so you went to UCLA for grad school originally, right? Yeah, it's funny because it's one of those those things that like again at the time was like you know whatever twenty two whatever it might be is you know it was really almost harrowing. We're like. I, I switched majors my senior year at UC Santa Barbara to go to, to, to be theater, to do playwriting. Um, I stayed next year to finish it. <clears throat> Didn't know what I was doing still. So I was like, I guess I'll apply to grad schools. I heard that if you get an MFA, you can teach playwriting again. I, I, I could not know less about theater world, the industry, <laughs> playwriting, any, any even. Um, so I apply all these schools and surprisingly, I get into a lot of them. And I would, in retrospect, I will say that I probably got in just because I wrote poetic language. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, like, he doesn't know how to write a play clearly, but it's sure pretty what he's saying, you know? Um, so I get into a bunch of schools and I have a lot of, I have a really hard time deciding cause I want to be in New York, even though I don't know, I've never been to New York. I want to be, it just seems like if I want to do theater, I'll be in New York. Right. So I struggle over where to go. Um, I remember even I, Paula Vogel had come to talk to us at, at Santa Barbara and she was nice enough to respond to me when I asked her, like, I'm kind of stuck. Like I asked her about Columbia. I asked her about like USC, UCLA. I asked her about some schools and she gave me a sort of helpful, non-helpful answer because, you know, she doesn't know who the fuck I am. She just wanted to be like, I'll give you what I think, but like, right, yeah. you do, do with it what you will. Um, and But finally, UCLA was offering me like a full ride, uh, a big scholarship and like paid everything, apartment, everything like that. So I went with the money. And in retrospect, I always think about this because like I made a, a, a decision in my life, probably for one of the first times in my life, really just based on money and, and convenience and mm-hmm. not like what I wanted to do. Um, so I got to UCLA and, and I, I guess I'm their person who has the scholarship or whatever. And like, in, again, in retrospect, what I found now teaching myself, there wasn't, I mean, nothing against the school, but like there wasn't a lot of teaching going on. We kind of met three or four of us, the, the writers in the group. We shared pages, we gave some opinions and then we left. And mm-hmm. like, there was just sort of like, oh, it's so interesting what you're doing here with these two kids. You know, there was no like, I wasn't getting any better. I was just bringing in pages right. and writing. And again, I, since I knew nothing about playwriting or theater really, I was just bringing in writing stuff that interested me, whatever. And, you know, plays that I would never, again, show anybody because they're just long ramblings or weird, like, impulsive stuff Yeah. that no one ever said, like, I never heard the word objective or, like, progression or, like, mm-hmm. subtext, anything. It was, And so um, I was just writing whatever I, I thought, you know. And then at the end of the first year, the head of the program, who wasn't even my teacher, um, called a meeting with me, and she was like... Um, we're going to invite you uh, to leave next sem- next year. Um, we're going to pull your scholarship. Um, you're welcome to try and come back. I didn't even know what try meant, but like, it seems like if I wanted to try and fight this, you're welcome to try and come back. Um, but if I were you, I would get a month-to-month lease um, so you're not like stuck here or whatever. And like, I remember being in the meeting, I'm probably 22, whatever it is, and my hands are like shaking because all I'd ever heard was like, I'm a pretty good writer. And now this head of the department, who I only met a couple times, is telling me like, we're pulling all of this and in the meeting, I remember her saying, um, when I sort of asked, when I tried with my, with my sort of like 22-year-old like scaredness, tried to ask, you know, why, um, she kind of just said that you're writing very enigmatic plays. Um, and I think she even might have mentioned, like, we gave you all this stuff because you wrote really poetic languages and, the, like, the play you sent had more, like, structure to it, whatever it was. And so I remember leaving the meeting, going to the computer lab back in the day where you had to use a computer lab, right? and like emailing my girlfriend at the time and like my hands are shaking. And also I had to look up the word enigmatic cause I didn't even know what it meant. Um, <laughs> and so luckily though, when I had done that huge thing trying to decide between schools, I had deferred the new school and cause they allowed it. And I was like, so instead of just saying no to them, I said, I'll defer for a year while I went to UCLA. Uh-huh. And so I immediately told new school, I'll be there in the fall. And so I was able to go to new school. And then for me, like even though this terrible thing happened when I got to new school, I was a little bit like, oh, I'm not like the scholarship kid anymore. I'm not like, you know, I'm, this is actually going to cost money. Um, pretty quickly, though, like, I resisted a little bit, but um, once I got into the program a little bit more, they were just starting to be like, all right, you need to write two characters who don't agree with each other. 
that's it. Like the time can't change. The temperature can't change. Like don't anything weird. Yeah. Just too, so they started like almost like teaching someone on guitar. Like you have to go back and learn on the acoustic, like the nylon string. So it, immediately I was like, Oh, I'm actually being taught here now. You know, whether, you know, grad school programs, I think it really depends where you're at, what you're doing, what you need. Um, but I needed at the time, which I didn't realize cause I was too young and naive was that I needed to be taught very basic building blocks of writing plays, mm-hmm. which I didn't have. And UCLA was just sort of like, do whatever you want. And then, and again, nothing against you. So like, cause they have, they have a whole new, you know, roster of people there now. But yeah. I remember I went back to see my classmates plays at the end of that first year or, or whatever, end of their, their program. Cause I think it was a two year program and they were all really, really, uh, talented writers, really, really unique voices. But I saw some of the, the final things and I was, I was watching it with the knowledge I had from new school now. And some of it was like, I couldn't, tell you some of the basic things like there was a lot of plateauing of progression like mm. there's a lot of basic things that weren't in there as interesting and as well written as the plays were some of the mechanics of just making a, a, a engaging play weren't there whereas mm-hmm. I would say in new school to be honest the, the writers maybe weren't as the same level skill wise or, or voice wise um, but they were we were all being taught very like okay mm-hmm. here's actually how you build some some like conflict in your play as opposed to just write whatever you want and call it a play I find it incredible. Instead of addressing what they identify as a problem, which is mm-hmm. like your work not progressing, mm-hmm. they ask you to leave. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, sort of like, where is, wait, teaching? Like, it is seems to be a reflection it? on the system, not the person. Like, I find that wild. They, I mean, to be honest, again, I have no idea. I don't, my memory of it is now mostly through telling the story, but like, I also did think like, or have thought since then, like, you know, if they gave me all this sort of money and scholarship, like I was sort of like, quote unquote, a a draft pick for them that year in terms of like, oh, this student has a lot of uh, potential. Right. And I guess I just hugely disappointed them. But yeah, to get, someone pointed out to me pretty quickly, like, but isn't it a school? Like, (laughs) aren't you there? Yeah. To like take some of the, what they thought was raw talent and like shape it into something as opposed to like, well, you tried all year and you know, yeah. I would have loved it if someone actually had come in like two months in and been like, can we just go over or like, can you read these play or like, you know, something right. to work with me, you know? But when you go to new school and they start sort of like, okay, let's step back. You can do the thing you do, right? Mm-hmm. We get that. But let's step back and look at these other fundamentals. Did it all sort of like, like, no, I mean, click for you quickly? No, I was, I was resistant at first because like I wanted to like, be poetic and I wanted to have like theatrical things happen. Um, but I think they were smart enough to see really, or my, my teacher, Jim Ryan and Neil Bell were smart enough to see like, Oh, he's missing. He's interesting, but he's missing some very basic things that he doesn't, mm-hmm. he clearly has never heard of actually. Um, and so I, there was some resistance at the beginning for me. And then once I started to I could maybe see the results in my own writing and being like, Oh, that scene actually reads really well. And because I'm starting to pick up things like, Oh, these characters both want something and you know, mm-hmm. and it poses, you know, so, it took a little while, but then um, I got on board. And then, you know, also through this time, I'm writing very um, poetic plays. And again, I think I'm just stuck because that's what I was first told. Like, you're good at language. So they were all very language driven. Yeah. Um, but they were about like relationships or, or just interpersonal stuff. Um, but it was also, again, through New School's teachers, specifically that one, Neil Bell, where like I got pushed into like, um, what can you do besides language? And so they would give me little prompts to be like, I want you to put like a, a, a Walkman and a pink umbrella in your next, in your next pages. Mm-hmm. And me being Mr. Poetic, like, you know, bare stage, like a white sheet thrown, you know, I was like, like I can't have a, like a Walkman or a pink umbrella. It doesn't right. fit the thing I do. Right. But they were, I think what they were trying to do was force me out of the thing I do and to be like, I want to see what else comes out of you. If you, if you are put in a corner a little bit. And so just because of those, those literally two prompts and the other one was a toaster. I wrote a, um, a uh, lower class father and his two daughters um, when their mother had died and trying to just get by in this very like low income world. And when I brought it in, my teacher was like, what, where, did, like where did this come from? And I was like, I don't know. I, I, I kind of lived some, some uh, things that I was probably influenced by, whatever. But I just, I just thought this is just the assignment, whatever. But they kind of nudged me in that direction. And so I kept bringing in sort of like things that were a little bit closer to my upbringing of, of like, you know, lower class worlds. Um, and I kind of was like, all right, I can, I understand like this is, I was writing them pretty easily. And then I remember when, um, it came time to think to choose my thesis. I was like, no, I want to go back to one of the poetic plays. 
And I remember my teacher held me after one day and he was like, your poetic plays, yeah, they're interesting and like, it's great that you can do that with language, but like, a lot of people can do that with language. These other plays that are about sort of like certain um, communities, you're like doing poetic in a new way that I haven't seen before. And that's more exciting. And I, it took, I think, I think I still probably resisted a little bit, but you know, 20 years later, in retrospect, like that was really the beginning of my voice. Like I was, I think, I think almost forced into it because I think they saw something and were like, we need to guide you somewhere. So like for someone like me, I really needed the guidance in grad school to help me find my way. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I'm talking about this, like it sounds exactly like my process still, which is like, I write this kind of highly theatrical world and then I use rehearsals to like find my way. Like, what does any of this mean? I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. so it, that hasn't left. But like, again, even though I struggled and, and, and rebelled and, and like was not uh, totally game all the time in new school, when I tell that story, it's sort of like, that's how I found my voice. That's how I, my all entire writing, all my plays are rooted in what happened there. Yet I was forced to go there <laughs> because I yeah. came to another place. I rebelled against it a little bit. Um, and I had to be forced to like, we're going to force things on your plays just so you'll do something different. And somehow, you know, so it just, I, I like, I always like the idea of just like, there's something like chaotic again. And like, I rebelled against, I didn't want to do it all of a sudden like, but technically that's like the origin story of like, Oh, that's how I actually started doing what I actually like to do now. I love that. I love that. And I, you know, uh, there's, as we've already talked about, there are so many touch points between the two of us that are similar. Mm-hmm, yeah. And this is another one because Luis Alfaro mm-hmm. gave me an assignment in grad school <laughs> um, to, because when I was in grad school, I was a smart playwright, but I wasn't a good mm. playwright. <laughs> and my plays lacked something. Most of them lacked something. And, and we can go back and do you whatever. know do can you do you articulate now what they lacked or do you uh they lacked uh emotion huh. they lacked like heart interesting um they were they were interesting ideas mm-hmm. uh the then the dialogue was fine. like there were elements that showed like i got i i justifiably mm-hmm. got into school right mm-hmm. like i could mm-hmm. do a lot of things but my plays weren't coming together yeah yeah they yeah. weren't complete something was lacking he gave me the assignment to write a straightforward narrative, <laughs> tension, conflict, and start off with a bang. Huh. That was the entire, like, that was it. And mm. I was given four actors to write for. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. So, like, the, like really confining. Were you right? excited to do this, or were you, like, uh, what's your reaction, I guess, when we gave it to you? Well... I knew him enough to know that him giving me this assignment was also giving me a note about my writing, (laughs) right? right? Without giving me the note about my writing. And this is the thing that I need Mm. to, I need to show I can do. Yeah. 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 Because I'm not doing it. And, uh, it changed like, like you were just talking Mm. about with your play, it changed. Mm -hmm. It's a origin story. This assignment completely changed for me. I sat down (laughs) in, five days and wrote this uh iraq war play Mm -hmm. and uh and it was like it won a kennedy center award Uh, okay okay uh and it was like a calling card play for me um it's the play that i that got me to that lark okay playwright retreat uh which is a seminal like we talked about a seminal moment for and um and I wrote it in five days because there was a Kennedy Center deadline oh, okay, to yeah, submit. Yeah. So I was like, oh, if I crank this out, this yeah, could be yeah. my submission for that thing. And I banged it out. First draft, no revision. Nobody oh, wow. had read it yet because there was no time. Mm-hmm. Um, submitted it, and it makes its way through that whole system. Did Luis ever, like, um, I don't know, like, rec- or give you recognition in terms of, like, there you go, or, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. And, and as a little like joke to him, uh, and he doesn't, I mean, I'm, he's had so many students like, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, he said, started off with a bang. And as a joke, I started off with a, an explosion. <laughs> and to me that, like, that was funny. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. like, I understand what you're really saying. Right. right I'm right. going to actually be literal because <laughs> I find that funny. <laughs> I find actually students still do that. They, they, they're very much like, I'll give them things like that sometimes. And then like, it feels a little bit like a little wink, wink of like, I, I, I know what you mean, but yeah. I, I want to do this thing because I think it's hilarious. Anyway. Yeah. But, but what it, what it changed for me is, is my ability to, to, um, 
lock in to sort of some traditional mm -hmm. playwriting structures. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's the classic learn the rules and then break the rules. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I had to finish, I really had to finish learning mm -hmm. the rules. Mm -hmm. And now I know how to apply them to the mm -hmm. things that I do, right? Right, right, right? Like, just like, you know, you write this poetic stuff mm -hmm. and you were, it was just sort of happening mm -hmm. and you've learned all this other, mm -hmm. all these other techniques and now you can, use them however you see fit for your, yeah, yeah. for your style. Funny when you were talking, it made me think also, you know, of like something that I never got, but, uh, John Eisner and I used to, from the Lark used to go talk to MFA programs, you know, and when we go to these, these, uh, schools, of course, all the students who probably don't even know what the Lark totally is, but they mostly want to know like agent or how do I submit or how do I get in, you know, but John would just sort of be like, yeah, we're not gonna talk about any of that stuff. Uh, he wanted to talk about like, why do you want to write? And, you know, mm -hmm. and I've, I've actually tried this many times in class. It doesn't always fly like it does with John. But, like, what he wanted to really get at was, like, you are choosing to, like, spend your, possibly your life, you know, um, creating and, and putting something out in the world. And you want us as audiences to engage with it and have conversation with you, like, why? Like, what do you want to converse about? What do you want to put out there? Given, like, where we live, what's going on in the world, what are you hoping to, like, where are you? What do you want, you know? And what was amazing to me was every single time, like, they had, they've never even thought of that. And I probably hadn't either, right? But they'd never, the concept was, was really just, they, they wanted to say like, well, I'm pretty funny, or like, I like to do this, or like, but there was no like, thought about, why are you doing all this? Like, why? Mm -hmm. it's, there's no more than just like, you get to do this, or you, you wanna go out and hang out and, and make plays and entertain people. Like, you re if you're really talking about this, what do you wanna do? And like, I think about that a lot, cause like, I wish someone had actually early on been like, what do you want to do? Because I stumbled upon my thing about talking about uh, things that are more like, uh, I guess, marginalized communities by um, happenstance, I guess, if that's the right word. Um, but I wonder what happened if someone had actually come along early on and been like, so you want to do this thing, you, you, whatever, you can write great language, fine, but like, what do you, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. And I, I wonder if I would have been like, I have an idea or like, how would it come out? Like, I, might, I probably wouldn't have known, but I would have loved the idea of someone planting that to me to think about. And like, I've, I feel like that would have helped. And it probably would help a lot of people, I think, to think about like, I get you can do X, Y, Z, and you're pretty snappy at it. But yeah. what is it? What's the bigger question here? Yeah, I remember, and maybe you've experienced this too in LA. So I, I came to LA and I started to learn the LA system mm -hmm. way before I was equipped for it mm -hmm. and even prepared to be a writer at that mm -hmm. level. And those are the questions, like they they were the the film and television folks wanted to know who you are as a writer, what you write, what you bring to the table. And I was like, I wrote a good sample of a thing, <laughs> like and I'm like, how do you answer these questions? Yeah, I was yeah, yeah. way too immature mm -hmm. as a writer, not as a person, because mm -hmm. I was a an adult person, yeah, yeah. but I was just like, and it took forever for yeah, me yeah. to get from being bombarded with those questions and confused by mm. them to actually being able to sit down and have a conversation yeah, about yeah. Uh, where I'm coming from. Right, right, right. right. Uh, and yeah, it, and we don't talk about it. We don't teach <laughs> it. We yeah. write about it in statements. Yeah. And, like, gotta, and usually, at least for me, not many people read my statements. Maybe I'll give it to my partner, you know, but like that's mostly almost like make sure it's not crazy, whatever. But like it's weird to actually just spend all this time writing like literally this idea of like, here's who I think I am in the world. Yeah. And I'm just using it to get into this thing. Um, but yeah, we don't actually conversate that much about like, I'll read people's statements and stuff like that and talk about it, but we don't actually spend that much time thinking like. Right, I mean, because ultimately we don't want to have to address who we are as a writer. We want our writing to tell you <laughs> who we are as a writer. And uh, and I just remember the, the like agents and producer people mm -hmm. uh, to baby writer me Mm -hmm. trying to figure out who I mm -hmm. am and I'm just like, oh, I don't belong here. Right, right, right. Like, this is not, if this is the conversation, I'm not ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go cook a lot longer. <laughs> which is, which I find interesting because it, it, it reminds me how so many people get into what we do and burn out or leave mm -hmm, really mm -hmm. quickly because I think it might be like there's a thing they can do really well Mm -hmm. like early you yeah yeah but maybe don't have a sort of like passion or drive yeah, or yeah. something to sort of like carry it through the tough chaotic time that you were yeah, describing yeah. earlier 
It's funny because that makes me think of like I was um, actually when I was leaving the Lark, and I was thinking about leaving the Lark. I was starting to get stuff. Um, I had a production out here actually at Teatro Vista in Chicago, um, but my, my playwriting was in, in, uh, making it hard to do my job at the Lark. But I, I you know, I, I was very nervous to make that leap between like, am I going to quit my, my full time job and just like hope that <laughs> that stuff comes my way? Yeah. Um, but I was at a uh, my partner at the time had uh, we had some like kind of nice Thanksgiving thing where like some artistic type people were there. And there was this artist, I think his name is Eric Fleischer. He did a, um, he did this thing that Rockefeller Center after 9-11 called, I think Bodies Fallen or something like that, that ended up being like removed because some people found it offensive. But he's always, oh, he's a big time art artist mm-hmm. person. And he found, I was a playwright and he was sort of asking, you know, what's going on? And I kind of, I think I shared because I was looking for, for some sort of like uh, wisdom. I shared that I was thinking about leaving my my full-time job to, to be playwriting totally, but like, what do I do financially, blah, blah, blah. And he, he kind of gave me this, he's probably given it before, but he gave me this, this kind of speech that always stuck with me, but he kind of was just like, he was like, I've known many, many artists along my career who are much better than me, much more interesting, much more creative, but their, their work is better. Um, but I think I've lasted as long as I have because most of them, as good as they were and talented as they were, they could not handle the uncertainty of the lifestyle, they couldn't handle the idea of like, you might have rent money, you might not have rent money. Like that, that whole line of of, of our lives, it, it couldn't be that unstable for them. So they had to get out, and that's literally why I think that they moved out. And he was basically telling me though, he was his sort of endpoint was like, my opinion is, if you have a job that's getting in the way of your mm. writing, you leave the job. Mm. And I was like, I actually took his advice and I did leave Lark, um, but it was like it's one of those things where it sounds when he says it to me I'm like so influenced by it but then there's like the real world also of like okay okay but literally now if I break the numbers down (laughs) I gotta lose all this money from the lark here's my you know like if I break it down mathematically it's not as poetic as that Um, but what always stuck with me was that idea of I totally get it that some people as good as they are like the uncertainty principle unless you become like you know some Tony Kushner type person is always going to be there on some level, you know, and can you live with that? Um, and I think I can, and I, I, you know, I've lived my life since then like that, but I totally also understand the other, someone, the type of personality was like, there's no way, I have to have very secure things right. in place for me, retirement and everything else, you know what I mean? But, it, but when he said it to me, I was like, oh shit, like even the idea of like, how many artists are out there who are gorgeous artists? Yeah. And just like you said, put it down or they do something along uh, similar they do art therapy or something but technically they're still writing or they're still creating or they're still writing songs or whatever but like it always makes me very reminds me of that that um documentary the 20 feet from stardom oh yeah, the, yeah. talented out there who are just like yeah couldn't hack certain things but are still like gorgeous and we won't get to see what they do actually you know what did so what did what did life look like when you left um, luckily for me, things had started to sort of snowball. Like I still had to like piece together jobs. Um, but it, actually, it reminds me that Luis said told me one time, which like he said, I don't know when in this career this took place, but he said that every end of season, so to speak, toward the end of the season, right, he would think like, and he has nothing lined up for the next season. He would think to himself like. Well, I guess that was my playwriting career. Like, mm. that was fun, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, when he said it to me, I felt really good because I was like, I have that all the time. Like, if there's nothing on the horizon, like, set in stone, I always felt like, I, do I just go back to my early 20s where I'm just sort of, like, writing for myself and, like, I sort of um, submit and, and, and uh, get together my own readings, whatever it is. Um, and I'm, always, I'm sure that'll come back at some point. I'm sure there's going to be tons of dry spells where I am going back to like, all right, well, maybe I'll just produce it myself. Maybe I'll just shoot this film myself. Um, but I think one of his points also was that like something happened to come along and like each year, and I always feel this nervousness, something happens to come along. Then some project happens to come along where I'm still engaged in the, in the industry, I guess, or in, in playwriting. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the fear is always there of like, if there's nothing set in stone right now, so whatever in 2025, you know, like that thing is always like, um, and I guess I can live with that. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm, I, I think I live with it every year that it comes up, you know. So I can imagine there's someone also being like, I, that's, it's too, like, tear me apart inside. How can I, like... I, I'm one of those people. 
I, re- yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. being uh, coming out of undergrad mm. and being like, I don't know what to do with myself now. I wasn't an artist. Mm. I was just a person with an undergrad degree. Mm. And I, I, I've like found this opportunity mm. to go teach English in Korea mm. for a year, wow. which would have been amazing. Yeah, yeah, I was scared to death. I was like, oh, but my <laughs> friends, it's like FOMO. I mean, we didn't have, yeah. we didn't know FOMO, yeah. but it was essentially <laughs> FOMO. I was like, leave my friends for a year. Mm. I can't do that. What's life gonna be when I mm. come back? Uh, and and mm. and then definitely the film and TV thing, the mm. becoming a TV writer, mm. scares the hell out of me mm. because of the um, inconsistency of mm. it. Like you got a job for a season. <laughs> right yeah who knows what show you're on and if that's picked up and if, if it is if you're mm. brought back like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and like the insecurity uh financial insecurity mm. i mean around that um scared the hell out of me yeah, yeah, and that's a hundred percent part of the reason why yeah. i was like i'm not built for this world mm-hmm. i'm ready to just work in a nonprofit and be mm-hmm. a poor playwright mm-hmm. Um, so I get, like, I completely get that, yeah, yeah. that feeling. Well, then, because, like, but, you know, for me, I mean, it's interesting when you, when you, when you say also, though, that, like, you know, given where you're moving to, that, you know, having that new structure in your life, that's kind of, like, what people are after yeah. in general. I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a huge, that's a huge thing to be like, oh, well, I'm going to have a little bit of actually room um, to actually um, to put my to put a certain foot forward because like I always thought this before like even like when I would watch um, actually I might have even thought about it during our uh, our retreat together um, I think because I remember Rajiv bringing in that really good work and that, a lot of it and it just it being so well written so interesting so intelligent um, I remember actually I guess it's actually it was from that retreat I remember thinking or telling JJ at the time or something like that like I wonder how much better a writer you get when you get to just do it so much when you get to spend this many amount of your weeks, um, a writing, be in rehearsal rooms with amazing artists and collaborators, like how much your craft just grows because like you are just, it's almost like an athlete who, who gets sort of pushed up to like the majors or something like that. And all of a sudden like they have to up their game or they're, they're going to up their game because they're with better coaches. Like I remember just being, I maybe I think, I think my brain was trying to find a way of like, fuck, how was Rajiv doing this? Yeah. <laughs> Cause I was so envious of it. And yeah. maybe one of the things I came up with desperately was like, oh, he, he spends such a bigger portion of his life being a, a professional playwright than I get to at that time. Yeah. Um, it also just might be that he's intelligent, really good. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, but I remember my, my brain sort of seeking for like, wonder what happens when you do get to just be like, I spend 80 hours of my week just playwriting, just rehearsing with awesome people, just watching my plays go up, just being with audiences versus like, I think most of us, which is like, I spend most of my weeks in my, by myself just writing as opposed to like being in the room with these awesome people who are going to like make me up my game. Yeah. 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 I mean, how, like we were talking early about, uh, how much of a learning experience it is to witness the production of plays Mm -hmm. as you're learning how to write them. The other component is like learning how to write plays by working on the play with everybody (laughs) else. Right. Right. Like actually being in that room and part of it because you're not a witness, but actually like a part mm-hmm. of it, uh, that changes everything, yeah. right? You know, like right now, like in these rehearsals, like I, I it's my, it's my it's it's scary, but it's one of my favorite things, which really is like discovering what I've created, but doing so through human beings mm-hmm. as opposed to even readings are tough to, to gauge, but really just through yeah. the human beings being like, oh, okay, you know, like to me that that's it's it's an amazing part, but it's. It also feels like because it's on the moment you're like, ah, fuck, everyone's already here. Can I yeah. <laughs> pull this off? But luckily, like I think, but I think just being in the room sometimes you're just like, okay, with this this sort of support system, we can we can all figure that out together. You know? Yeah. Does it still feel chaotic to you? Um, you mean just life in general, or or like. Like yeah. What, what, what each thing? Yeah, I mean, like the bio is still nice. It has mm-hmm. all the plop, the proper points. But yeah, yeah. Is it still sort of like chaotic beneath the surface? I would, I would guess that, like, because even thinking back or talking with you about some of the younger years, I, I'm, you know, I'm flooded with a bunch of like of those bad decisions that I remember making or not knowing about, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, I don't think I'm making as many bad decisions in terms of like. Sure, I said yes to this thing that that blows up my face, or like, I didn't, you know, I'm gonna go spend a year doing this thing that totally not gonna happen, you know. Like, I don't see myself as making as many um, 
20 something bad decisions that I stumble into something that feels more controlled. But I guess for me, the, uh, the chaotic part is still like in front of me. We're like, like for this play in particular, like obviously I'm uh, in awe every time I come around the corner right here and I walk up to Steppenwolf and I'm like, fuck, that's cool. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, even if I've been stressed out about the play itself. Um, but there's, there's the other part of my brain that is like, as a human being, like we were talking about earlier, I'm just like, as a person, I'm just like, my name is up there. That's amazing. I'm so like giddy about it. Right. But the other part of my brain, the sad part is like, not sad part, the, the sadly business part of it is like, I'm hoping or I'm assuming this will bring other things. And like that part feels chaotic where I'm mm. like, I think that, but I've so, I mean, I've, I've had so many conversations with either writers or actors or like, I'll be like, Oh my God. So, so you did the Broadway thing. Like what happened after? And they were like, nothing. Yeah. So like, I'm, I'm that the future feels chaotic. Cause it, it's like, I think we were, like we were saying, like it, it'll probably, I mean, unless you are, are like, you know, I won't name who they are, but wonderful playwrights who are set. <laughs> like, yeah. Maybe it'll always be chaotic. of sort of like, I don't know what's yeah. ahead, but it could be like, I'm hoping yeah. it has something in, good for me, but I don't know, honestly. Yeah, is it about uh, finding comfort in the chaos? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it should be like, like, who knows? But for I think for us, for playwrights or, or artists, it feels like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> are you able? Are, are you able to be like present in the in the moment when a thing is happening? Um, I think that insecurities are always going to be there. Like, um, before I came to Chicago. One part of my brain again was like hugely excited, like this is a big step. I'm really, really like anticipating this. And I did have though, like uh, uh, the other part of my brain is like, am I going to be able to like do the rewrites that are going to make this play work really well? Am I going to be able to like have the answers? Because like you know, I'm sure you have this right. Where like people ask me questions uh, in in rehearsal or or even at the table read, whatever it is. Like I, I go into nervousness of like. It, it almost feels like I'm trying to disc- or, or explain a dream or something. I'm like, I, uh, maybe. And the director says I'm much more intelligent and doable than I will. So like, that part I think never turns off. Like I'm trying to enjoy myself in the room sometimes, but I'm also always going to be like, I have a feeling why that's happening in the scene right now, but I couldn't really put words to it or explain it to you coherently. Mm. But my impulse is that that it feels right, and like, it actually makes me think of like. Um, I'm totally going to blank on the director's name, but I was talking, they directed the Rocky musical when it was on Broadway and I was interviewing them for a job. Um, it's a very famous yeah, yeah, director. Yeah. yeah, and I know, I know his name. And but I it's can't one of those names that I don't know why I can't. Of my head. Yeah. But I, when I was interviewing him, he said this thing that always stuck with me. He was like, I don't think I have any like skill, specific skill or talent at like quote unquote directing. He's like, but I think I have good taste. I know when something isn't right or isn't working yeah. and is off. And I surround myself with people who also have good taste, I think. And so we're able to do this thing. And it struck me because like, I do think a lot of times playwriting, like I might not be able to explain why the scene is there or what it's saying ultimately or, or what all the intentions are in there. But like my meter is sort of like, this is right. This belongs here. We'll figure it out. Um, but I can't tell you more than that. I need the director to be like, here's why it's here. Yeah. Um, and so the instinctual part always has to be there of like, um, and, and that part makes me nervous. I, mean, I know that after all these years, I know that's how I work. I know that's my process, but it never seems to get um, easier in terms of like, I'm not nervous to be like, uh, but I am getting better at being like, I, I don't know, but like, I think this and this and this are really yeah. important. You know? I heard David Ajmi once mm. say something that was really influential to me around on this topic. Mm. And it was really about uh, being confident in, in not knowing an yeah, answer yeah, yeah. and not feeling like you have to have an answer and, and yeah. having confidence in that. And it's going to, and not having feeling like you have to change something mm-hmm. or bullshit an answer, but sometimes there's not an answer and it, mm-hmm. and that's just it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's weird. Cause like, it almost feels like, am I sorely underprepared? Am I instinctual? Like, yeah, I, yeah. sometimes you have to tracking, like maybe I should know that, you know, but I don't, you know, but and it's one of those weird things also like there's all these little things like playwright things where like we don't talk about them that much we don't get taught them very much but one of them like I was talking to my director here about this a lot like what are playwrights like in the room they're so different and like how they behave what, they're, what they assume their role to be or not to be like I just I would, I would love like a, a, almost like a, a catalog of like 
I remember being in the room one time when Thomas Bradshaw was taking notes from Scott Elliott in, in New York, and Thomas being this very sort of uh, uh, funny, like robust sort of like talker, in the room with Scott Elliott was very quiet and was just like taking notes from the director, like, oh yeah, we can cut that, sure we can cut that. And I was like, oh wow, that's Thomas Bradshaw in this particular rehearsal. Like, so I would love to see like you in rehearsal or Luis in rehearsal, like, like how do we all be, it's almost like, as a guy, like, yeah. how do other men behave on dates or something? Like, right, right. <laughs> Yeah, peeking behind each other's uh, curtains, so to speak. I think I would like to so think about David Edgeby, like I think I would be be like, oh, okay, great. Like that makes me feel so much better to watch X Y Z in rehearsal. Yeah, and know that they have some of the same things that I go through. You know. Yeah, yeah, and I think sometimes it's a, uh, it's a confident. It's just having the confidence in the mystery, mm. because you, we write something it came from somewhere Mm. when we wrote it whether we're conscious of the decision Mm. that we made when we put it on the page but it came from somewhere Mm. there was a reason for it and it Mm. happened and there it is on the page Mm -hmm. can we go back and diagnose what that was and articulate (laughs) what that was maybe not maybe for a lot of the things but maybe not for a particular thing but that doesn't make the thing wrong (laughs) and uh trust that there was at some point a logical decision behind it and mm-hmm. let's let's uh work through it or you know also sometimes like the, like the way you phrase it that you know i can never actually get back to the impulse it happened i wasn't even aware it was going to happen it just came out and i'll never be able to get back in that mindset again um but like i can it's not about tr- like it's almost like sometimes i feel like saying like if we trust like the entire vision of, of what I've been doing, right? I'm not saying it works <laughs> entirely. There's lots of things that we worked out in it, you know. Um, there's something in there, you know, like there's something in sort of like it's almost like we just trust the dream. It's actually like I'm gonna we're gonna try and work out this dream and like it happened and like whatever it means, it's hidden in there somewhere and like we can like find it. Um, but it feels hard sometimes because it's sort of like if at least for me when I'm in a room that's a little like I've definitely had workshops or certain directors or even with reading sometimes especially when I was younger where they really wanted to sort of right brain the play or sort of like hammer the magic out of it and like no let's like even actually my first play in Chicago over 10 years ago now it was a it was a challenging production because I didn't know at the time and I was too young to really to, to do much about it but the director who's a really wonderful director was a little bit more just logical mm-hmm. and so this play that's supposed to be sort of a nightmare sequence almost he was trying to like have me, and I was agreeing to it. He was, I was doing rewrites to make the play make more sense logically. And what happens is when the, when the audience comes in, they're like, they never get told like, this is not supposed to make that much sense. This is supposed to be sort of like an experience. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to piece like, wait, but how did they get over there? Like in one scene, they're in an alley in Mexico and all of a sudden lights come up on like a, a stripper pole. And like this guy's all of a sudden got a hat being placed on him and a tequila in front of him. And he's sort of like experiencing like how he perceives Mexico. Um, but in the play, we actually wanted, they, they wanted to answer like, but so did he, did he leave the alleyway? Did he walk, is that bar nearby? And so I was doing little oh, edits to make sense, yeah. which was really just impulsive. Like, no, no, we just go there and we understand, oh, this is like, okay, okay. This is, an, this is they're going through something right now. Um, and so for me, it was a big learning experience. Cause it was like, I knew it was the first time in, in a bigger room where I was like, oh, I didn't know how to, how to handle the, the, someone not again they weren't they were trying to make the play work but i didn't understand like oh they're trying to sort of logicalize or or actually kind of make sense out of some of the the uh, magic and i now know you know over the years you know with different people people i I work with and don't work with anymore like oh okay here's what i need in the room which is like if like if if you meet a director and they ask a very like question like that i'm usually like this will probably not work out because like I need to have the sort of like, yeah, what is it? I don't know. Let's, let's, let's keep playing. Yeah. But when you're earlier in your career, there's this kind of one, you're happy to be there. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Never underestimate the, I'm just happy to be here. (laughs) I'll take like, you're, I'll take what you're offering. I'm not going to ask for anything. And then you end up with a poor match. You end up with the, I mean, I don't, I didn't see that production, so I can't, I'm not commenting on it, but like things go awry yeah. and then do you know why? Because you didn't say anything yeah, right yeah. when you, when you probably should have, or maybe I, even say, I didn't even understand that. I didn't even actually know until I saw the thing as a whole. Oh, that's why audiences are confused right now. Yeah. I'm not saying it was the perfect plot either. It was just that like, I didn't know that that's what was happening. Yeah. I was rewriting yeah. as you said, 
I'm a team player. Like I'm I know, happy to be here. I know. <laughs> I know. And I think that's the thing we're brought up to be because mm-hmm. like we're told this is a relationship business. Mm-hmm. You gotta, you know, you gotta be a person that people are going to want in the room. Yeah, yeah. So how do we be likable? How do we be amenable? How do we be agreeable? And to your point, also the scarcity idea of like, yeah, I got a crumb. Like <laughs> I'll take it. Like, yeah. I'm not going to, you know, I, I mean, I always find it hilarious. I mean, I'm sure it's been said on your podcast sometimes. Like when playwrights mention, like I turned that down, I shut that down. Like my brain automatically goes to that mode of like, I wish I had productions to be like, nah, nah, you do it this way or not. You know, I yeah. just like, you want to do it, do it. Like, yeah. Great. The more of my stuff out there, the better. I'm like, turn down? (laughs) Turn something down? What? Yeah. Never. A gal could get lost in the woods Feeling shade Thinking on something that she shouldn't be Thank you to Matthew Paul Olmos and to Steppenwolf Theater and press director David Rosenberg in particular for always opening your doors to the subtext. Matt's play A Home What Howls might still be playing at Steppenwolf at the time this episode is released. I don't know. I hope so. But check out Steppenwolf's website for that information. Thank you to Rob Alley and Kalundra from American Theater Magazine. The music from this episode is courtesy of my wonderful and talented friend Lisa Belsky. The theme song for the subtext is by International Pen Pal. This episode was produced by me and edited by the great and multi-talented KJ Jarbo. Thank you for listening. The play filling me up this month is Blowhole by Ali Cantor. You guys, this play, <laughs> it's an adaptation of Liz Estrada set in a turn-of-the-century whaling village. It's so good. <laughs>